Good morning, church. Good morning, online church. Thank you, choir, for that beautiful anthem, by the way. It was really good. If you've ever been to Austin, uh, on the UT drag, there sits a Methodist church off of 25th and Guadalupe. Now, you know in UT country, that place is bustling, especially on the drag. Just the town is buzzing with productivity. Students doing the work, teachers teaching, et cetera, et cetera. But you step onto the church grounds, and there's almost this shroud of shalom. The live oak trees that nestle the church uh, kind of form a barrier of peace. I've actually never been inside that church, but I have slept in the parking lot. I don't know about today, but several years ago, that church parking lot was a homeless hub. Um, during the evening and the night, the homeless would gather in that parking lot, and they would almost form a refugee camp. They would strewn out their cots made of whatever they could find, newspaper mattresses, and they would just sleep on the asphalt. As a college student, I was studying theology, and some of my friends, we decided that we wouldn't just think theology, but we would try and do it. We would try and live the gospel that we study so much. So... I met a couple people that night. I won't tell you about our conversations. I met a lot of people, though, who had trauma. A lot of people who had joy. I met people who had pain and anger. But I also met people who had peace. And like I said, I won't tell you about our conversations, but I will tell you about a homeless spell that was cast upon me that night. Rather, two. The first spell is that when you sit in the same space as a homeless person, you feel their weight. I'm not talking about their literal body, even though you can't help but look at their open wounds, their leathery skin, their toothless grins, or their matted hair. I'm talking about the weight of their life, the vulnerability of it, the, the sheer primal nature of survival. I don't like that spell. It takes all of your notions about what it means to be a human and says, look at me, look at what my life has become. And you feel it, and it sits on you. And it's heavy. I don't like that spell. It's more like a curse, actually. It haunts you, though, long after the encounter is over. But what about the second spell? This one, I think, is even more nefarious. Because even though with the first spell, you feel the weight of this person's life, it's manageable. You can live with it, and you can continue through your day. But the second spell, it devours people whole. Now, as I mentioned, UT does not sleep. Even when we arrived at the church around 7 PM, the city was right there, bustling. In about three minutes, I probably made eye contact with 200, 300 people. Yet, no one saw me. No one saw us. That's the second spell. I know that if they would have seen me or seen us, they would have had to acknowledge us. And if they acknowledged us, they would have to uh, do something about it. But with each passing moment, more people would walk by 
and I would become a little bit more invisible, like the people I was with who were already invisible. I felt that. But it turns out that spell is actually rather comfortable. Because most of us have lived with that kind of spell for so long. Turns out it's also a very useful spell. It allows you to see only what you want to see. Lord, when did we see you? Lord, when did we invite you, clothe you, feed you, visit you? Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Like those homeless spells, this text today haunts me, and I do not like it. I don't like it. What if when I die, as the text states, I stand in line, and I'm not first, of course, and I'm hopefully not last, but I'm standing in line, and as I'm prepared to meet King Christ in his glory, I prepare my talk, kind of like I prepare sermons. So I rehearse. I go over my greatest hits, right? When I stand in front of Christ, I'll make sure to mention that I lived in South Sudan, that I went to this homeless place and I slept on the concrete one night. I'll make sure I mention that I'm in seminary, right? That's a plus. And even the best bonus points is that I work at a church. That's got to give me a ticket, right? I got to get in. I'll highlight my strengths, but I'll also make sure to diminish my weaknesses, right? Like a good interview. I won't tell them the times I've lied. I won't tell him the lustful thoughts I've had, and I definitely won't tell him the countless number of times I've driven on the highway, I've seen a panhandling man begging, and rather than making eye contact with him, I roll my windows up, turn the music up a little loud, and I stare straight at that stoplight, and I don't break eye contact until it turns green. I won't tell him about that, for sure. Strengths, weaknesses, and just as I'm about to get to the line, I have this all rehearsed in my mind, and just as I'm about to present my case to Christ, a little angel flutters over in front of me, and with one of those COVID temperature scanners, he goes up to my forehead, he scans my forehead and says, yep, you've contracted goat. He gives me my result sheet, and it says, final results, 51% goat, 49% sheep. I swore. In my mind, I was a first-round draft pick for Team Jesus. In my judgment, I am the sheep with the softest wool. In my eyes, I am one of the smart women who brings extra oil. Right? Or I am a good and faithful servant who doubles God's investment. I'm one of those people in my mind. But here is where the text begins to do its magic. Here's where the text begins to do its work. It is in this haunted and hated text that therein lies the trouble. It is not about my mind, my eyes, my judgment, or my words. Rather, Christ's mind, Christ's judgment. Christ's eyes, and Christ's words. Christ is the king, not me. For the goat in me, 
That is the worst news ever. Right? It affirms a great fear of mine. I'm actually not in control. I pride myself on my ability to maneuver deals, right? to schmooze. The goat in me does not want to be held accountable. The goat in me doesn't want my failures to be shown. The goat in me doesn't want to help the thirsty, the hungry, the prisoner, the least, the stranger, the foreigner, the poor, the other, the invisible. The goat in me doesn't want to do that work. It's too heavy. As a goat, I want a carefree life. I want to make money. I want to retire to the beautiful sands of Costa Rica. I want to give my wife whatever she wants. I want to see what I want to see, and I want to love what I want to love. The goat in me does not want to see King Christ reign in his glory. The goat in me wants Christ crucified and for that tomb to stay shut. But the sheep in me, the sheep in me needs this text. It needs this word. The sheep in me gives thanks on Thanksgiving Sunday for this text. For the sheep, this is the gospel, the good news. This text does something, and I love it, because it's one of the few scriptures we still have left in the church that's got some fight. It's got a little bite to it. Right? It'll hurt you if you're not careful with it. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. Christ told us long ago who he identifies as and who he identifies with. He told us long ago. One of my uh, old Duke professors, um, Jay Cameron Carter, he now teaches at Indiana University, he says, if you read the Bible close enough, you'll, you'll, you'll notice something really odd about Jesus. He says, the way Jesus lived summoned the police. The, he says, the crucifixion was the inevitable result of the way Christ lived. Likewise, Reinhold Niebuhr, another theologian, said, the end of pure goodness, of perfect love, is the cross. These men are separated by race, social status, generations, and yet they have seen something in the text. This divine thread that throws itself from beginning to end. Right? There is something about Christ and the way he lived that put him at odds with the world, with the powers and the principalities. Just as J. Cameron said, he says, the crucifixion was the inevitable result of the way Jesus lived. We goats had to get rid of him. We had to. We had to get rid of him. Because if we let him stick around, he might have actually brought about the kingdom. But even after thousands of years of goat-like manipulation, personalization, homogenization, commodification of King Jesus, even after we take his words and we make them just niceties, even after pastors justify million-dollar salaries, private jets, even after politicians have taken our Christian language and used it for political power plays, even after the state has domesticated our radical love ethic here at the church, 
we still have a text like this today. We still have a Jesus who says, blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. You will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now. You will laugh. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. The last, first, the first, last. That is good news. Just not for a goat like me. But if you're trying to be more sheep-like, if you're trying to get that 49% bumped up to 51, you need, you need this text. If you're a Christian, you bind yourself to this news, this story, this God. And this God shows complete solidarity with the unknown, the forgotten, the poor, the migrant, the oppressed, the invisible. This God offers justice to sheep who have never known justice in this world. This God proclaims in Ezekiel 34, he says, I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. That promise feels as comfortable as warm wool on a cold day. The sheep in me loves when God talks like that. The sheep in me loves those promises. But we miss something if we leave the text there. And this is where the text can bite you again. What we see in Scripture is we see that Jesus is going to do his thing. God is going to do a good work with or without you. God's going to do his thing with or without you. The secret to understanding Matthew 25 uh, is not to scan yourself to see if you're more sheep or goat-like, but the secret to understanding this text is to realize that the gift and the task are intertwined. There is an inextricable connection between falling at the feet of Jesus, knowing that you're in need of grace, that you are a needy person, and adopting Jesus' concern for the needy. The grace that has been offered to us as sinners, it is freely given, bountiful, And because it is freely given and bountiful, it must be shared. Especially with the least. We Christians are meek sheep in need of the gift of grace. And our task, our business, is feeding sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. The gift of grace and the task of grace are intertwined. The gift of love and the task of love are one. I remember when I was reading uh, John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, 
uh, way, back when I was a little kid, and I think most of us know that story. Um, anyways, in 1995, Bruce Springsteen released a song called The Ghost of Tom Joad, which is uh, named after the main protagonist in the book. And like the text today, he's got a lyric in there that's got some bite to it. Listen to this. The verse sings, Wherever there's a cop beating a guy, wherever a hungry newborn baby cries, where there's fight against the blood and the hatred in the air, look for me. I'll be there. Wherever somebody's fighting for a place to stand or a decent job or a helping hand, wherever somebody's struggling to be free, look in their eyes, Ma. You'll see me. Lord, when did we see you? Today, it might be pretty hard to see him. But look carefully. He is there. He's sitting with his children. He's on the pavement. He's got nowhere to lay his head. His hair's matted. His feet are raw. He smells. But the shepherd is with his flock. And like his sheep, Jesus is feeling that second curse that I mentioned at the very beginning. Christ, the invisible king. Lord, when did we see you? The goat in me will continue and is haunted by this text. Not so much because of the fear of damnation, but because as I get older, I feel that second spell growing stronger in me. Christ told me long ago who he identifies as, who he's with, and Christ tells me that the homeless beggar I just walked by and who I'm helped make a little bit more invisible was Christ himself. And I didn't even look. Amen. Amen.